Hi folks, I'm Alan Watt and this is Cutting Through the Matrix on April 12th, 2015. You know, reality is something we all take for granted. Because you're trained to take it for granted, and it's a natural thing too. So you can really augment the natural inclinations of people by training them to believe that the reality they're born into is a natural system. Every country in the world uses the same techniques because we're a global society today and academia that deals with creation of future reality for the cultural industry in combination with them, in fact, work hard to make sure you're given a reality. But as I say, we take it for granted reality. And when you're young, it's well understood by those who study us all the time, and there's lots of them, uh, that you take it for granted. You feel healthy, you've got some vitality, and you have many drives and so on at their peak. You don't step back and say, well, what is this reality? Why are things a bit wrong? Except some people do, and they often go into self-destruct mode because they can see through the basic cons that go on around them and done to them and everyone else as well. So simply understanding that there's cons going on doesn't enable you to cope with it. You have to understand the whys of it all because there's never just one why. There's many levels of the why. So reality, which you take for granted, is like your legs when you're young. If you lose those legs, uh, they're gone. Things you took for granted are gone, and your whole reality is going to change. Your hopes, aspirations, everything is going to crumble completely, and you have to readapt to another reality without your legs. Well, it's the same thing with truth of all kinds. Back in the 80s, For those who don't know it, a reality, of course, has always been managed by those in charge, and often it's not the governments at all. In fact, the governments are enablers, to an extent, of the big organizations that run the world's finances, corporations, and so on. All the big clubs that you hear about, the big private organizations, are always coming up with philanthropy and sponsoring and funding big non-governmental organization demonstration and protest groups and so on. And they get the laws passed they want to get passed, and the government's only too happy to oblige because many of the top leaders are always, by the way, and every, every party doesn't make any difference, they belong to these same private organizations with their big global agendas. So you have to understand that in an information warfare, which they talked about in the 80s, they mentioned copiously that, and the big think tanks that worked for the elite of the day in the present, uh, talked about uh, the need to prepare for the coming information age. And by that, they went on to talk about ways to combat all the other information that was, it was contrary to the agendas the big elites had already laid out for the world and for all of us. And so they talked about warfare of information, and we're in it today. The big boys don't sit back ever in any generation in history and wait for things to happen. Uh, they've always had spies done through the centuries. All governments use them locally, everywhere, in fact, within their own countries, not just abroad. And they gather all the data 
to see how the public are reacting to to, to massive taxation or prolonged warfare uh, and, and recruitment of all the young guys who never come back. That's how it used to be often. In fact, and centuries gone by, uh, they were written off and some of them weren't even transported back home when wars were over in previous centuries. So uh, we are basically the cannon fodder for big global private interests and those who control the world system. It all starts, of course, with the control of the first con job, which is money. Uh, they always make sure, since everyone's going to run on money as governments and all the people underneath it, right down to the population, they make sure they introduce a system of money managed at the top by themselves. And it's true enough, they can make money out of thin air or give you some tokens for even gold is a token in the past. That's what they mean. A token is something that represents something else. It's a token, like a token of friendship. Here's a little, whatever it happens to be, a little... Um, gift or something, but a token of money is simply something they ensure is going to be accepted as a means of exchange, and they always at the top control the purchasing power at any time in all times of that particular token, be it coin, paper, or blips on a computer screen. And everyone beneath that is taught that it's all kind of natural, don't look into it too deeply because it'll terrify you and you won't understand it. And experts must deal with it. That's a common thing, of course, is that experts must deal with everything. And if you're not in that class of experts and up in those high academic levels, then you have no right to really talk about anything at all. And you get hammered rather severely by the powers who have given themselves the authority over you to talk about these things. Now, I won't reiterate tonight all of the talks I've given over the years on how reality is encouraged, created, and so on. But uh, go into cuttingthroughthematrix.com website, remember, and you'll find in the archive section uh, thousands of talks on this with big organizations involved, lots of information they put out themselves from their own sources, and that's what you must always go by. And um, you'll start to understand that you're not living in some new freer age. Which are, Every generation is told they're freer, you know. Every single generation is taught that, that they're the freest generation that's ever come along. And they're used like crazy, and they work hard, they pay their, all their taxes, it keeps uh, all the big machinery of the system in place. And you forget, too, that much of the money that you pay in taxes goes to corporate welfare. Big corporations with their massive agendas and roads and water supplies across the world and so on for private interests get big, massive free grants from governments. They say, oh, it's too costly to implement ourselves, so we need government aid. And they constantly get grants for it. You'll find in, in centuries gone by, it was generally the big arms manufacturers that were the main ben- beneficiaries of it. They still are, of course, but at the same time, we're, we're moved into this transition age where uh, the big corporations of armaments and all of the industries are involved in, including all the security and homeland security and, and internal security and computerization, are all involved in the same thing today. And again, even they talked about the end of their sales in a peaceful world, what would they do? They'd have to go into internal security. And therefore, just like the wars in the past, which were often sparked off by too many dogs in the fight, 
where they had big corporate agendas, big corporate interests, to, 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 so they'd make things happen. They could spark off things at all times, uh, real or imaginary. And they used imagination quite often, too, even with the Royal Institute of International Affairs or that Milner group that preceded it, that eventually became that. Uh, they, they actually had their own reporters who would claim there were wars abroad where there weren't any at all. Or they'd get little mercenary parties to invade other countries uh, like South Africa and claim that the Boers uh, were responsible for it. Then the, the government would send in your, your military that you pay for and, uh, and, you, and, and the corporations then would take over all the resources. Nothing's changed. Resource wars are phenomenally huge and they're constantly at the top talking about the future of the corporation, the survival of the corporation, all corporations. That's why all corporations are tied together very tightly, much tighter than what you're taught to think as being independent of each other. In fact, many of the top CEOs have worked with the head of other big corporations, and they also belong to these private organizations like the CFR, which is a branch of the Royal Institute for International Affairs, all private organizations that you do not vote in, but have incredible clout because they put their own members in as prime ministers and presidents across the world. So they don't need to get everybody else down below in the political arena into the membership. They just need the ones at the top. And therefore, uh, their big agendas always go as planned. But just like nations uh, in, in the old days we were taught, we were taught, I should say, uh, first and foremost made sure of their own survivability, regardless of circumstances at, at the government level. You'll find it's the same thing with the big private corporations. And uh, the, they plan for a hundred years, sometimes in the future, sometimes even beyond that. They're always churning out their, their, their documents after big global meetings, on the next 100 years, the next 50 years, and so on. 50-year plans, 100-year plans, 5-year, 10-year, for different parts of their own agendas. And let's be honest, too, it's awfully helpful uh, in days gone by and centuries gone by when you could have global warfare on the go. Because if you were in the armaments business, uh, it was awfully good to have these things going on. And so government has always been completely intertwined with private interests of the ruling elite. Today you've got a, a global ruling elite, and they still will use the national card when it suits them, uh, because they want the population always to back them. But uh, they, at the same time, too, they're going full scale for the global uh, dominance of the whole planet for the same private interests. Therefore, they always train every generation, and by that I really mean by every three or four years in kindergarten onwards, are updated for what they're going to see in their lifetime and accept as a normal reality. That way there's a continuity, there's no break uh, in the big agendas that they have there. And that's why there are so many behavioral psychologists, big associations of them, neuroscientists and so on, all working together at the very top, with government too, and all government agencies, by the way, help, helping set, set the training for all government agencies, and they have their own curriculums, of course, for all departments, even social workers, all put out by, by people way above them that, that really aren't even involved in that particular area, but they make sure that the workers have their own agendas to go out and implement 
upon uh, the general populations. So those involved at the low level don't even have to know the real intentions or what's really behind it or the fact that they're being manipulated too. And it helps too when you give them a good paycheck. They tend not to look into these things. They simply do what they're told and they'll tell you that I was only doing my job if things go sour. With most people, their indoctrination is perfect. They've all been given the same education, which is indoctrination according to your class system. You watch the same movies and so on, you all chat about the same things, and you bounce off your sanity, as I've mentioned many times, by bouncing off your peer group in conversation, different topics, and if they have the same opinion on something, or even a slight variation, uh, that's all, all allowed, of course, a slight variation, this or that, you're given two choices and everything on what you want to believe in it, then you think you're quite sane, etc., and you, it's, a, it's a form of blinder, and it's like blinders or blinkers, they call them, uh, on a horse. It's meant to see ahead and not to the side. Its peripheral vision is blocked so it doesn't get distracted. And you're just the same, you see. You've been trained just that way. Don't think for yourself, whatever you do, and reason for yourself, or even question things as they are presented to you. Simply regurgitate and, and go on the road ahead, which is all laid out for you to go through your entire life long, for that matter. And it works awfully, awfully well. Therefore, in an information warfare age, uh, you've got so much information and disinformation, uh, and it becomes a bewildering mass of confusion for many, many people. And therefore, they go into the staid things. The staid things are the things which are authorized. Look into this, read the regular news, and believe it, and expert, leave it to the experts and believe what they say. Remember, too, that Bertrand Russell, who created a lot of the culture most, with this big, massive world think tank that he was put in charge of, along with the Macy Group, the Frankfurt School, and other ones, by the President of the United States, by the way, and with the government of Britain after World War II, helped design the whole culture, including all the masses of massive changes which have happened since then, culturally, in all different areas. They have their big reasons for all of the changes, and they've worked awfully, awfully well. Uh, therefore, the machinery of making it your reality is all working in concert to make sure it works awfully well for those who designed it and the particular elites. Russell said himself that they would train, we're going to train, uh, and they were doing it back in the 40s and 50s, even through radio. Uh, he said, we'll train the people to only believe what experts tell them. And that's the first great pitfall because they can bring out, and they do, they bring out experts on every single topic. And that's what they're called. As soon as you hear the word now, expert, you think they're, they really are expert in their field. And it can be an absolute idiot, of course. It doesn't make any difference. You simply dress them up as an expert. And, and then you'll parrot what they say. So we will tend to parrot what they're given as opposed to think through reason investigate for themselves and come to their own conclusions. And in this age of mass information and mass information warfare, people don't have the time to go into everything. That's why it's even easier for an elite group, knowing your psychology, to manage us all. It's much easier, in fact, than ever before. So you don't have to know an awful lot except wake up to the fact that the human race 
has always been managed by those in power. In ancient times, it was very simple. People had big families, often within tribes. Sometimes one big family would, would be more psychopathic than others, and they would get together, get the swords out and kill everybody else around them, or kill quite enough to terrify the rest and say, we're now the leaders of the pack. That was simple then. But they always ran the danger, without a money system, of the rest of the people in the tribe, of, of the city, we've had enough for overthrowing you. So in comes the money, and then you can hire as many mercenaries, called soldiers, of course, as you want. And once that happens, you can keep these dynasties going forever and ever. And it's no different in royalty, or the royalty of the business corporation world, or banking world, or whatever, because they are royalties in their own right. And uh, they, they rule. They rule the royalty, you see. They don't have to go and, and say, let's put this to the public and, and hear what they, what they want. No, they don't, they don't care what you want. Although they're awfully good at employing big think tanks to work very well. Again, the experts and, and with all their ongoing studies on us, because we're the most studied species on the planet, humanity, not the, not the ant or the bee. We are. Uh, and they, they find out how to keep us going forever in a particular state of reality that's been given to us without much uh, doing on our part at all. We simply think it's all quite natural. And when you think it's natural, you cause as less fuss as possible for those in charge regardless of the plans they have for you, which are often pretty well nefarious at times too. I'd have to say that today is very sad indeed. The techniques are so perfect and the implementation of propaganda is so perfect. You're trained to believe the propagandists too, which is pretty well perfect for most folk. And techniques that used to be seen through in the past of who is really behind this fracas in India during the British Empire days and so on, or behind this, play, this African fracas, etc., were a bit easier to see for some people, for some. For the masses, no, because they had very few of them had any education way back then when Britain first went in. But uh, other folk who were getting into the middle classes who had an education of some kind could also connect the dots in history and see what was happening in the present and, and see that's awfully similar to what happened back in whenever in Machiavelli's uh, various days of a fantastic expose of propaganda in a form of resume to an extent to kings and queens. But you always find there are so many dogs in the fight today in a global structure. It's difficult to find out who's really behind it on a superficial level. If you go into it much deeper and really dig, you'll find the dots. And there's an old saying, if you can, if you can connect the money and the plans to extract more money through various means, remember it can be minerals, resources, whatever it happens to be, oil, you name it. Uh, there's also a lot of dogs in the fight and there's nothing you can take in the geopolitical arena at face value. I've mentioned many times about the Lord uh, Alfred Milner Group, private organization, incredibly wealthy, top bankers and bankers' sons and so on, in Britain at the time, who were involved in the machinations of getting wars going abroad to take over the resources and wealth of other nations, Africa, India, and other countries across the world. 
And they became the Royal Institute for International Affairs, the private organization. Again, you don't vote for them, but it's the same organization that, that created the American branch, the CFR, Council on Foreign Relations, to take over from Britain, because Britain, at that time, uh, the taxpayers had borne the brunt of all the wars. I mean, on for such a long time, especially since the Bank of England was created. And then after Rothschild took over too, then it was just war after war because they could always use the people to pay taxes, to pay for all the loans that the government got from the big Rothschild bank and so on. Uh, and you were the guarantor if you were a peasant to pay off loans. It's always been the same since. And uh, nothing's changed since that time. So the creation of a central banking system was essential to getting ongoing wars financed through the tax base on behalf of the big private interests that had their own goals for, and the real goals for the wars. And during the 19th century, uh, all the way through into the 20th century, pretty well all wars were of a geopolitical nature with too many dogs in the fight to muddy the waters as to why they simply seem to spark off. Nothing simply sparks off. It takes a lot of planning to get wars uh, underway. It takes, it takes poverty in some countries to get wars started because if you're going to starve to death, there's your choice, starve to death or fight. And those who want the wars to start can often bring down a country economically to make sure that they'll start fighting because they have their goals too. So there's lots of dogs in the fight and everything that you're told about. And tonight I'll just touch on some a few things briefly because, as I say, you, you could write books on every topic I bring up. And as I say, most folk today, especially today, don't have the time in their personal lives to even read books anymore. They don't. Back in the 90s and the 80s, but the 90s, they did study after study to find how many people were reading books, and it kept diminishing up to the present time. In the 80s and 90s, people were, were more conditioned in their spare time by tapes, documentary tapes and so on, uh, of, of which were audio, and then VHS, of course. And, uh, and so they became more visually orientated, where, where one person could be seeing the same things he said on a tape, but people would think it's more authoritative if they could see the person talking at the same time. They were losing their ability to simply listen. Today, most folk are completely orientated towards the visual. And because of that, it's much easier to control them, in fact, because when you're reading a book, for instance, your mind comes into play when you're reading that book. There's no one going ahead at a rapid pace as you do on, say, a video or a CD or a, or a DVD or an audio, for that matter. You can stop after reading a line or two and think about it. So you participate in what you're reading and to the truth of it or the fallacies of it, etc. You have more time as well because to read take some time of doing nothing else, no distractions. And that's awfully important. When the cartoon age it really got going big time, they kept bringing down 
the, the time for attention, attention span, down until it's about two or three seconds. If the child looks away from his hypnotic stare, he'll miss the rest of the plot. It's so quick and how it changes, and that makes it down. The attention span's even lower today than ever before. So the big boys have done study after study after study all the time on how things affect us. There's an old saying in the Council on Foreign Relations or the Royal Institute for International Affairs, same organization, Trilateral Commission, same bunch, and a whole plethora, again, of subgroups underneath them all specialized in their own particular areas of managing us. But they've done so many studies on us that there's nothing they really don't know on how things are working for those who control at any particular time. Therefore, reality, as it's presented to you, doesn't have to be true. Even news doesn't have to be true, by law even. And that was a Supreme Court decision in the U.S. in a particular case a few years ago, where journalists actually were employed to do a documentary on genetically modified food. And I think it involved Monsanto and other big companies. And they were given a free reign to go their own way. That was part of their contract. But when they, they brought it out, uh, the big corporations pushed on the media outlet so hard that they literally fired and terminated the contract to the journalists. And the journalists said that we were going to tell the truth and, and this affects, uh, but it's not allowed anymore. And it went all the way to the Supreme Court. And the judge said, truth does not have to be uh, the news. The news does not have to be the truth. There's no law that says news must be the truth. Now, getting back to geopolitics and the history of huge finance and the controlling factors involved in it and interference with countries to get the appearance of someone else creating mayhem abroad somewhere is is perfected too. It's, It's been the same for hundreds of years. Your country, since you're taught it's the best one in the world, every nation is taught that, of course, you you must believe it's always in the right. And politicians will get on indignantly to encourage the the spread of warfare amongst the public, that the warfare mentality, oh, we must go and get those sods, you know. It works awfully well. Hasn't changed really. But today, it's even better, again, with the media techniques involved and the concert of the media. They're all in concert together to give the same information. That's the mainstream. And I've gone through stories before from, again, even the mainstream, who talked about the creation of, say, the Rockefeller studies uh, a long time ago to find out how many newspapers could control the whole U.S. How many main ones would it take? Because the rest of them copy the mainstream, the big ones, you see. Even your local ones copy them. And they, they talked about uh, uh, 30 would do it, 30 main ones, and then they would have separate magazines, the Carpers and different ones, for segments of the, the, the managing of society, the upper middle classes or middle classes within government and civil service itself. Because you must always make sure that you control what information is given. And information, again, remember, doesn't mean truth. It's information. Someone tells you that he's been kidnapped 
by space aliens, you know, that's information. It doesn't mean it's the truth. You see? It's information. All things, are, even lies, are still information. You're sharing information. Spies do all the time. Governments do all the time. Therefore, you have to change the way that you think and you've been taught to think about your reality. So again, something you've been trained and you do naturally as well, you take it for granted without questioning it. Truth today is as hard to find because of the incredible information age. And naturally that age must be dominated by those who could cause confusion in order to keep you in confusion so you turn right back to the experts' opinions. And remember, too, because someone something is put over in a fantastically uh, imaginative way to you, doesn't mean it's true either. It might grab your imagination and carry you off. does not mean it's true. It's another technique that's used on people, a very well-understood technique, too. But the big organizations that at least came out openly, more openly, not quite openly, but more openly in the 1800s. They're all merged together. They're all separate parts, really the same, again, secretive organization, came into the open and even had the Royal Charter, such as the Royal Institute for International Affairs, comes from foreign relations. They came from groups who were involved in the past of geopolitical interference, the creation of wars, and they had their own personal historians I've talked about many times who wrote books on it, who were all for it, naturally, that, that agenda, that, that an elite should rule the world. An academic, on their behalf, they would help rule and manage the people, and the big money makers at the top, the cunning people, today we call them actually psychopaths, who are in charge, um, they would be the masters. Nothing's changed. And they had to get media all on board together, by controlling as much of the media and big chains as possible to give the same messages all in concert together. You'll find that when, for instance, Britain in the British Empire days also had mercenary forces, private mercenary forces. In fact, they had one through the 20th century called Kini Mini. That was a nickname they used for it, where guys would... would uh, mercenaries really, generally from special forces would uh, they be on hire basically by this corporation to the biggest bidder as long as it fell in line with the interests of the ruling elite of Britain. They couldn't use the regular army, at least initially for a lot of things because you could never get public opinion to back up some big gold or diamond industry based in London to uh, take over Sierra Leone for instance so you'd use the private companies to do it and claim that you didn't know who they were, at least your national government would claim, or it was independent of them, it wasn't their doing. And that's standard business policy, still is today. And when the U.S. had to take over because the British public were taxed into the grave, uh, then, and that was part of the policy from the private organization that ran Britain, that the U.S. tax burden would be put uh, to good use and take over from Britain. And the U.S. has been leading it ever since, really since the end of World War One, and definitely the period in between up to World War Two, and took off completely after World War Two. 
And it's the same corporations around both uh, countries, basically. But if we look into uh, what's happening abroad, and the little bits of news you get out that simply are put to you as black and white things, black and white stories. Here's the truth. Uh, here's the good guys. Here's the bad guys. You have to look much, much deeper because there's nothing ever clear as, as, uh, as they make it out to be. Public opinion is the first thing that must be used in any big move to finance the big private interests. And, of course, the public are told little about the involvement of private interests. One of the biggest, uh, really, admissions of that was when uh, the U.S. and Afghanistan and in Iraq had the big corporations involved that were given all the contracts, military contracts and so-called reconstruction contracts that were to do with taking over the oil industries in those countries, in, in, in Iraq, and uh, even the water supplies, everything. But you'll find, too, they must have mercenary organizations at work. One of the corporations they use, one of them in the U.S., because there's a few, apart from the other ones, too, that are involved in the CIA, creating wars and so on, you find that uh, Blackwater, as it used to be called, is one of the big ones. It's still on the go, and each time the public start to get to know who they are and they get bad press, they change their name. But here's an article here. And it says, former Blackwater, the mercenary organization, big corporation, with fingers in many pies apart from the hiring mercenaries. But it says, gets rich as Afghan drug production hits record high. And opium poppy cultivation is up in Afghanistan, despite the infamous mercenary firm, formerly known as Blackwater, being paid $569 million by the Pentagon to stop it. It's not meant to be stopped. And because we're given so much information, focus, it's like looking at fast frames just flying past you that made up an old movie reel. You have to look at each one independently, find out what they're actually doing if you really want to know the whole thing. Each frame. But it's an Afghan farmer harvesting an opium pot field in Jalalabad, it says, Afghanistan. And remember when Bush Jr. was in charge of the neocons in the States? And they went to Afghanistan. The first thing that they did was to allow the, the production again and the growing of poppy for opium. And it's just been a fantastic thing ever since for the big corporations that run it. Many of the big popular organizations are well-known organizations that you know today, including the top banks are involved in the drug money, as you know. But it says, in a war full of failures, the U.S. counter-narcotics mission in Afghanistan stands out. Opiate production has climbed steadily over recent years to reach record high levels last year. You want a clear winner in the anti-drug effort is not the Afghan people, but the infamous mercenary company formerly known as Blackwater. Statistics released on Tuesday reveal that the rebranded private security firm known since 2011 as Academy reaped over a quarter billion dollars from the futile defense department push to eradicate Afghan narcotics, some 21% of the $1.5 billion in contracting money that the Pentagon has devoted to the job since 2002. The company is the biggest or second biggest beneficiary of counter-narcotics largesse in Afghanistan. Only defense giant Northrop Grumman edged it out with $325 million. According to the U.S. Inspector General for Afghanistan Reconstruction, 
That's what they call his department. The $309 million Academy got from U.S. taxpayers paid for training equipment and logistical support to Afghan forces conducting the counter-narcotics such as the Afghan National Interdiction Unit, the Ministry of Interior, and the Afghan Border Police, it says. The article goes on to say uh, that uh, far from eradicating the deep-rooted opiate trade, U.S. counter-narcotics efforts have proven useless. According to a series of recent official inquiries, other aspects of the billions that the U.S. has poured into Afghanistan over the last 13 years of war have even contributed to the opium boom. No kidding, eh? In December, the United Nations reported a 60% growth in Afghan land use for opium poppy cultivation since 2011, up to 2,009,000 hectares. The estimated $3 billion value of Afghan heroin and morphine represents some 15% of Afghan GDP. Given the growth growth in the opium poppy cultivation, it must be assumed that Taliban's income from the legal trade narcotics has remained an important factor in generating assets for the group the United Nations reported. Well, naturally it has. That same month, the U.S. Inspector General for Afghanistan warned that the opium trade would surely rise as international aid money flees the country with the winding down of the war. So war is great for business. So the opium trade will rise as international aid money flees the country with winding down the war. Yet the Inspector General also noted the U.S. reconstruction projects, particularly those devoted to improved irrigation, usual rubbish, roads and agricultural assistance, were probably leading to the explosion in opium cultivation. Because these are sidelines. Remember Halliburton in Afghanistan? This massive, giant corporation that the Federal Reserve printed up millions, maybe even billions of dollars, and just gave it to them to buy off warlords and everything else and make sure their big projects go underway to grab the resources. This is affordable deep well technology turned 200,000 hectares of desert in southwestern Afghanistan into arable land over the past decade, the Spectral General found. Concluded that much of this newly arable land is dedicated to opium cultivation. Well, they knew that before they started. To grow the poppy, opium poppy, you need a salty water. Slight salt, not too much, but enough. And Afghanistan is rich in, in that, in salt water. And that's why it grows so well there, not just the heat. So they know all this stuff. As his academy and its former Blackwater incarnation have an infamous history in Afghanistan. It once set up shell companies to disguise its business practices. That's what all the corporations do. So according to the Senate report, so that its contracts would be unimpeded by company employees' killings of Iraqi and Afghan civilians. There's nothing clean in warfare or the mercenary business. It's all, and it's always money behind it and massive profits and big agendas for profits on behalf of big corporations, huge corporations. Blackwater's founder, Eric Prince, sold the company, then renamed XE, because they renamed it XE after Blackwater, and it now is the Academy, in 2010. Under new ownership, the firm occasionally gestures towards emphasizing its original business training military and police personnel, but it's never quite divested itself of a security contracting business. 
In 2010, Blackwater was one of a group of firms selected by the State Department for its $10 billion contract to protect its diplomats worldwide. $10 billion. Precisely the mission Blackwater performed when its agents opened fire on Iraqi civilians at Baghdad's Nasur Square in 2007 and turned the company into the ugly face of private security. The following year, the firm's newly installed CEO pledged we're not backing away from security services. <laughs> Mercenary work, you know. A spokesman for Academy's parent company, the Constellus Group, said that the current firm had separated itself from its Blackwater ancestry. This is when the ownership of Constellus Group purchased our Moyoke, uh, North Carolina trading facility in 2010. Blackwater, as the world knew it, ceased to exist, said spokesman Tom McCune. Since then, the new ownership, through a completely new management team, have worked diligently to establish a reputation for complete or competence and accountability. So I realize that for many skeptics, we have a long way to go towards winning their trust. <laughs> and that for some, nothing we will do will ever change their view. I can only reiterate how committed we are to developing what we promise. Well, to whom? Their clients? This, this article was amended Thursday, the 2nd April. Since publication, the U.S. Special Inspector General for Afghanistan Reconstruction significantly revises estimates of U.S. counter-narcotics contracting totals. And the art, this article has been updated accordingly, it says. So you understand that behind what they tell you, the propaganda and all the movies, the Pentagon-funded movies, they're churning out about these countries, Afghanistan and Iraq, etc., and even now in Africa, big time, uh, then there's much, much more too. It's not just a black and white issue. Uh, here's the official opinion. Here's the bad guys. Here's the good guys. Then this article here says, Blackwater founder Eric Prince, combative, secretive, and expanding in Africa. This is from 2014, last year. And it says, Eric Prince, the founder and then CEO of Blackwater Worldwide, appeared at a House Oversight Committee and Government Reform Committee hearing in 2007. So seven years ago, the Blackwater uh, Worldwide founder, Eric Prince, was in Capitol Hill defending the company founded as it's faced allegations that its employees had shot up a square in Baghdad a few weeks prior on September 16, 2007, killing 14 civilians and wounding 17 others. Prince insisted that day that all of his employees had acted appropriately and that a series of baseless allegations of wrongdoing had been made against his business, which he'd built from the ground up in the 1990s. There's many more folk behind him, you understand. And all big corporations, international corporations, it's not the people who invent some kind of program for the internet, believe you me. Uh, they're, they're front men. That's what they put up there as big heroes and very intelligent. That's why they're running us through their NGO organizations across the world. Anyway, it says, back to the story, he bustled at the notion that his firm was a band of hired mercenaries, saying he and his employees are Americans, working for Americans and protecting Americans. Five Blackwater guards, all military veterans, have been convicted in September 2007, shooting, including four last week in a high-profile case in Washington. But while Prince continues to question whether politics tainted the case, he says he's never uh, interacted with the former employees who were involved. <laughs> I've never met the guys, he says. I've never seen them, he said in an interview with Checkpoint. You know, the usual stuff. And says Prince agreed to do interviews as his best-selling book, Civilian Warriors, <laughs> the inside story of Blackwater and the unsung heroes of the war on terror. It is good propaganda for you. 
came out on paper get back this week. The release date was planned for some time, but it comes just days after the convictions of the former Blackwater guards put the company back in the headlines. So, you understand, you, you can't get truth to look into the financial system and who's behind things, what they're after, and all of this, like hiring mercenary organizations and funding them from the Pentagon too. Uh, for the private corporations that own them. We, we always pay, the public always pay for big corporations, for the big projects. The big corporations just collect the profit, you understand. And quite a few years back, and, and over the years, I mentioned about AFRICOR, which is the big organization that's supposed to start taking care of the whole of Africa. For United Africa, of course, on behalf of the big corporations that have been in there for centuries and taking out its resources and so on, and keeping it always in upheaval, just like Britain did in India. And uh, and I was blaming someone else, some local tribe for starting something. But uh, here's an article here, and this is 2015. It says, Kenya freezes key money transfers to Somalia over terror suspicion. And I just want to touch on something before I forget. This nonsense of Al-Qaeda and ISIS, remember they were funded totally by the West, set up by the West, organized by the West, armed by the West. And they keep changing the names just that they keep changing Blackwater when you start to catch on what's going on. And now it's ISIS and so on. It's the same organization who are used as well. You have to look at everything and who profits, who benefits. Kenya freezes key money transfers to Somalia over terror suspicion, it says. It says, Kenya froze key money transfer companies vital for Somalia Wednesday after the police chief issued a list of 85 people and businesses with suspected links to the Al-Qaeda-linked Shabab. It says, top of the list uh, issued in an official government gazette notice was alleged Shabab commander Mohammed Mohammed said to be the mastermind behind the university massacre of almost 150 people last week. But the list also included money transfer companies that provided a crucial way for relatives to send remittances from abroad to war-torn Somalia, including uh, Dahabsil, uh, one of the most important transfer companies across the wider Horn of Africa region. The suspicion in Kenya would have major impact on money transfers, with aid agencies warning in the past year suspension would hit some of the poorest people the hardest. With no formal banking system in the impoverished country, Diaspora, Somalis turned to money transfer services to send back money uh, to home to support their families, saying some $1.3 billion each year, dwarfing foreign aid. This is the move was immediately criticized. Is, if you look at that list, it's sad that licensed entities are put together with suspected terrorists, said Anthony Washira, head of the Kenya Forex Remittance Association. He said 13 of the companies were licensed by the Central Bank of Kenya, as well as the association. I would only request the regulator and the security machinery to provide for an investigative period where they should allow them to operate when they are doing investigations, he said. Kenyan President Uhura Kenyatta Saturday warned Shabab fighters his government will respond to their killing of 148 people in the University of Garissa in the severest way possible with warplanes Monday attacking Islamist bases in southern Somalia. But Kenyatta also warned that the masterminds behind last Thursday's attack were inside Kenya, not Somalia. 
This is the notice issued under Kenya's Prevention of Terrorism Act, and which gives the names of 24 hours to demonstrate why they should not be declared as a specified entity, was signed by Kenya's police chief, Joseph Bonnet. There are huge flows of money both ways between the neighbouring nations for trade and business, as well as in lifeline remittances to war-torn Somalia from relatives in the region. And, and so you have all, this is not a little bit of the article, but you have all different kinds of subversive groups, often terror, either terror. How many terrorists are actually mercenaries too? How many private organisations are inside this so-called ISIS group or Islamic-based groups, also terrorists and also mercenaries. Who benefits from it all? Who is supposed to go in? Remember AfriCorps again, where the UN wanted to the US and other, which always stands up for big its own corporations. They want AfriCorps to take over all the security of Africa, the whole of Africa and then start integrating it all just like they're doing with NAFTA uh, and the Pacific Partnership, with Trans-Pacific Partnership for Canada, the US, and other countries all merging together, etc., etc. How do you get to your goal unless you create all this chaos, and especially confusion? So, you've got all of this good. Now, you can imagine, if, if you truly are an Islamist group, and all the propaganda will keep saying that, that, oh, they're just radical Islamists. Radical, radical, radical. Now, within all groups of religious groups, you get the completely radical. I don't care what country or what type of religion you look into. But behind many of them, too, down through history, you'll find, again, the private groups that are inside of them. With mercenaries who are trained and everything else, and subversives to stir up other problems to get a goal for their masters achieved. And it's the same with inside Islamist groups as well. If you truly were religious, it was for your religion, it'd be ridiculous if you want converts to go out and slaughter those who won't simply convert or belong to a different faith. That's going to create antagonism against your particular religion and your cause or whatever else and makes no sense whatsoever. So there's always, again, too many dogs in the fight here. And when it comes to mercenary groups and trained Western mercenary groups, you'll never get to the bottom, the truth of it. You won't get it. You can suspect it. You might see it, an overall sense of seeing it, the gestalt that way. But, but that's what's behind it. Who benefits? It's always the same. So, and again, too, this is to give more power to the international banking authorities as they set up more and more power for themselves. These private organizations that also belong to the one global organization that runs all, wants to run all global currencies, like the, the Bank for International Settlements in Switzerland. Everything, everything falls into place when you go through things as to what they're after. Now, Here's another article here. 400 U.S. mercenaries deployed on ground in the Ukraine military operations, and that's 2014. And it says, about 400 elite mercenaries from the notorious U.S. private security firm Academy, formerly Blackwater, 
are taking part in the Ukrainian military operation against anti-government protesters in southeastern regions of the country, German media reports. The Bild am Sonntag newspaper, citing a source in intelligence circles, wrote Sunday that academy employees are involved in the Kiev military crackdown on pro-autonomy activists in the near town of Slavyansk in the Donetsk region. On April 29th, German intelligence service BND informed Chancellor Angela Merkel's government about the mercenaries' participation operation, the paper said. RIA Novosti reported it's not clear who commands the private military contractors and pays for their services, however. They're awfully, I mean, and there won't be any inquiries to find out because it's part of the big, it's all authorised and approved and, and planned at the top. Said March media reports appear suggesting that the coup-imposed government in Kiev could have employed up to 300 mercenaries. That was before the new government launched a military operation against anti-maiden activists or terrorists, as Kiev put it, in southeastern Ukraine. Do you remember, too, they used to start off in the West, and it all came out, too, it was found out, the colour revolutions across Europe, where the Western powers again were employing and setting up people to organise and get these riots going abroad to change governments to suit the ones who rule over us, in fact. <laughs> it's quite fascinating. But it says, it says uh, at the time the Russian foreign ministry said that reports claiming Kiev was planning to involve staff from foreign military companies to ensure the rule of law could suggest that it wanted to suppress civil protests and dissatisfaction. The Russian Foreign Ministry also said that uh, among the candidates for the role of gendarme is a Barbados-registered company, Greystone Limited, which is integrated with Academy Corporation. The Foreign Ministry said in a statement, it is an analogue and probably an affiliated body of Blackwater Private Army whose employees have repeatedly been accused of committing grievous and systemic human rights abuses in different troubled regions. Allegations increased further after unverified videos appeared on YouTube of an unidentified armed men in the streets of Donetsk, the capital of the country's industrial and coal mining region. And those videos, onlookers can be heard shouting, mercenaries, black water, and who are you going to shoot at? This is the public shouting at these, these mercenaries. This is Academy denied its involvement in Ukraine, that's standard, claiming on its website that rumours were posted by some irresponsible bloggers and online reporters. It says such unfounded statements combined with a lack of factual reporting to suppress them and a lack of context about the company are nothing more than sensationalistic efforts to create hysteria and headlines in times of genuine crisis, the US firm stated. The American security company Blackwater gained worldwide notoriety for the substantial role it played in the Iraq war as a contractor for the U.S. government. In recent years, it's changed its name twice. In 2009, it was renamed XC Services, and in 2011, it's got its current name, Academy. The firm became infamous for the last September. It was through the usual uh, killings in Iraq and Baghdad and so on. So... Again, too, you've got all these dogs in the fight and governments and agencies and the corporations that run nations make sure that they try and keep their own personal involvement in what appears to be simply sporadic uprisings in different countries and by infighting actually caused by their own mercenary forces are kept out of the media. Standard procedure, though. And back to Africa again. This is White House officials defend Somalia's strategy as counterterrorism model. 
this one here says, uh, President Obama has cited the battle against al-Shabaab militants in Somalia as a model of success for his relatively low-investment, light-footed or footprint approach to counterterrorism. By some measures, it's paid dividends. The U.S. drones have killed several of the Islamist group's leaders, including two top planners in just the past month. But this week's massacre of 148 people at Garissa University College, the deadliest terrorist attack on Kenyan soil in two decades, demonstrates the limits of the administration's approach and the difficulty of producing lasting victories over resilient enemies. Last fall, Obama was touting for his counterterrorism strategy in the region as one that we have successfully pursued in Yemen and Somalia for years. The collapse of the American-backed government in Yemen, again, American-backed again. Forced the Pentagon last month to pull its special operations forces from the country. The chaos in Yemen and the absence of an effective partner has essentially halted U.S. counterterrorism operations against al-Qaeda's affiliate there. And it says, um, in Somalia and neighboring Kenya, the record is less clear. Despite this week's killing, senior administration officials characterized their campaign against al-Shabaab as highly effective. The organization, a one-time youth militia that began affiliating with al-Qaeda in the mid-2000s, once controlled virtually all of southern Somalia, but has lost more than 75% of its territory in recent years. And it says, uh, this week's vicious killings in Kenya, carried out by a small team of mass gunmen, again, mass gunmen, eh? were cited by White House officials as further evidence of the group's inevitable demise. And they're going to say, oh, they're desperate and so on. But analysts who follow al-Shabaab's activities said the recent attacks demonstrate how difficult it is to destroy militant groups in places such as Somalia, where decades of war and famine have created vast, chaotic, and largely ungovernable areas. Again, don't forget what AFRICOR is supposed to do. The UN group of Western powers that want to police all of Africa. So the more they have, apparently happening within Africa and African nations, the more they can use that as their ammunition to say, we've got to go in there and govern these people and, you know, take the resources and so on. And that's what it says here. It says, the recent attacks demonstrate how difficult it is to destroy militant groups in places such as Somalia. Are they really militant groups? Or are they mercenaries? Remember, the West employs... And trains mercenaries in other countries too. Always have. So it says, after troops form a coalition of countries acting under the banner of the African Union, dislodged an al-Shabaab from the area controlled, ill-disciplined militia forces filled the vacuum. Kenya's participation in the African Union mission has made it a target for reprisal attacks. There's no question that there's not an effective plan to win the peace. You've heard many times you heard winning the peace after winning the war, said Kenneth Menkos, an expert in Somalia, an expert and professor at Davison College. And some have criticised the international community for its failure to deliver the money, act some money again at the taxpayer, and support the fledgling Somali government needed to function, Menkos said. Other experts conclude that the government's corruption and incompetence has, has caused potential backers in the West to pull their support. And this goes on and on and on with the usual double-speak confusion. Again, when you have mass gunmen anywhere, who are they really? Who are they really, folks? Who benefits if 
we, the taxpayers, fund our troops to go over there to police these areas, followed immediately by the big corporations that seem to run all our countries. Hmm? It's quite simple, isn't it? Then this article here expanding its own in Afghanistan, China to help dam and roads building. And it says China has promised to help build a hydroelectric power plant in a violent Afghan border region, as well as roads and rail links to Pakistan, and the latest sign that it is taking a more active role in Afghanistan. The assistance will include an unspecified amount of financing, an Afghan foreign military spokesman said Tuesday after a uh, day after senior Afghan Chinese and Pakistani diplomats met in Kabul. So, you said it was presented to you that or this going there to do a charity work. Of course not. I think it was a year, two years ago, I mentioned a mainstream article too, that China was having the American troops protect the roads on which his big trucks would end to take out the natural resources, incredibly rich in minerals, very expensive minerals in, in Afghanistan. And China is a bit more open themselves, uh, that they have a different technique of taking over other countries for, to exploit their resources than the West. They, they don't they simply go in with a big massive gang of their regular army or mercenary troops. They tend to try to do it through financing. And, and again, too, do you think China is independent? Who set China, modern China up? Who set up communism? Who funded communism? Massive history to it. So China's not independent either, believe you me. And it says, in 2013, Pakistan said it would also build a motorway connecting the Pakistani city of Peshawar to Kabul, as well as railway line from Kaman or Shaman on the Pakistani side of Afghanistan's southeastern border to the southern Afghan city of Kandahar. So you have, uh, again, too many dogs in the fight, and always deception. And believe you me, China couldn't make a move in these countries if it was truly independent, simply going in there to take out resources and so on. Nothing is given for free. And when they want to get roads and railways in, it's to take resources out. That's what Britain did in India. The taxpayer funded the roads and all of the railroad lines. And, and, and they also funded all the construction set up for, um, and brought in engines and everything else from, from Britain to haul the freight for the big uh, moguls who ran Britain. Nothing changes. But if you can create the impression back home that there's simply chaos happening and you've got to get involved and you hire mercenaries to go and, and start the trouble off to get public opinion your side, then the public aren't going to complain too much about it. They're just not going to do it. They won't do it. What we're getting at tonight is that um, take nothing at face value. What, what's happening today, the techniques that are used, are not new in any way, shape or form. And national governments have been used for this for, for centuries and centuries. And you must always make your enemy seem to be the bad guy uh, for your folk back home who's going to finance it all for the big private interests and be taxed to pay for it all 
it's expensive building, sending troops over and building things and so on on behalf of their private interests. It's expensive to the taxpayer. So nothing changes. Nothing changes. And when you have people going in to simply massacre people, it makes no sense at all. You'll have a backlash. You will not convince people that you're the good guys. Join us. It won't happen. But it certainly gets the animus up against them by outside forces and powers, the populations. Something must be done. And that's the world we live in today. If you have a big agenda or a whole series of agendas to fulfill, running to a business timetable, and the whole world is run to a huge business timetable, long-range business plans, you must make the instance happen. The end justifies the means. So whatever you do to get the end accomplished, you will do, no matter how horrific it would be if it was ever exposed to the general public as to what you'd actually done. There's nothing new in this at all. Nothing whatsoever. I can remember the battles that were going on in Sierra Leone uh, years ago, and at first it was put out by the mainstream as internal battles of just crazy gangs and so on. And it was interfering with business and commerce. And uh, they were debating then where to send troops in there from abroad. And then some enterprising journalists and film crews went over and met some of the, the people who were doing the fighting. And the people who in the countries that were doing the fight were gang members. You can get that underclass of gangsters anywhere. And they were being trained by mercenaries, again from the private security companies, who were there talking about it, all dressed in their, 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 their warfare gear and training. And under live fire, you saw <laughs> these bullets whizzing everywhere. And it turned out that Sierra Leone's one of its main exports is, was, was diamonds. So gold, it was diamonds, was a big thing. And then an investigation was done, again by journalists, independent ones. But uh, they couldn't keep it, their news down enough. And eventually, I think it got on the mainstream television. And they traced it all the way back to London. They went in a big office tower, massive corporation, where this heavily jowled guy sat. And uh, he was interviewed about his corporation financing the mercenaries in Syria alone to get this whole civil war started to create the chaos. And this, this guy with the fat cheeks, he's got a chipmunk, they all do, they have no necks, you know, uh, the money boys. And he was a good psychopath, very obvious too, because he, he broke out laughing when he was, he was accused. He, says, he, didn't, he didn't rebut it or refute it, what he was being accused of. He says, well, why not, he says. This is his business. Hiring mercenaries to him and his ilk was business, always was, to create havoc elsewhere because you want the resources and the diamonds and so on. And he said, he said, and he looked at the, the, the folk who were interviewing him with incredulous look, as a good psychopath would. 
at their disbelief at what he was saying. Like, don't these numbskulls know reality? It says, these folk in, uh, over in Sierra Leone are sitting on, on all this uh, wealth and doing nothing with it. They laughed uh, and gave them that, that incredulous stare again. Like, can't you see that? Because to a psychopath, it was incredulous that anybody wouldn't see that. He could see it. And doing what he, what he and his corporation were doing, which is standard business practice. And he said that. This is standard business practice. The deaths that come out of it are of no concern to them whatsoever, at home or abroad, by the way. It doesn't bother them at all. This, to them, it's always been that way. So I'm always very cautious when governments in the West, or anywhere else for that matter, try to get the people on board to go against the now-hated whoever they happen to be because of the incredible propaganda that's been put out how atrocious they are. It really is something else. But that's humanity, unfortunately. And within humanity, there's, I think there's a much, much larger group class of psychopaths involved than what they come out with in Chayu, maybe one in a thousand, I think it's much, much higher than, or say ten and, and, and two thousand, maybe, maybe five and a thousand. But I think it's much, much higher. In fact, they run the, the system, they give you your reality, and in the psychopathic systems where they rule it, they give the population that follow the system a psychopathic culture, which always leads to incredible degradation amongst the people themselves, to each other, as they all compete, and I'm all right, Jack, and to hell with you. That's the sad truth of it. It's very simple. It's not difficult to understand at all. Anyway, from Hamish and myself, from Ontario, Canada, it's good night to me, your God, or your God's go with you. <laughs>